Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now- Hello, heaters. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat, presented to you by Manscaped. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you fine folks. I'm Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my recalcitrant co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can find the show there at Half Street High Heat. You can get all the latest news and announcements and uh, witty banter during Nats games, of course. And don't forget to check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com which is updated regularly with all kinds of good stuff. Um, our Monday mailbags out there t- uh, today where we're getting questions, so that'll be posted in the next day or so. So don't forget to check that out. And uh, how you guys doing? How was your 4th of July weekend? I know this is normally the time where I comment on the word you use to describe Ryan and myself. Mm-hmm. I am just stuck on the way you said folks. I feel oh. like you, you had a very pronounced L in folks. Folks. Oh. Folks. Folks. Well, there's an L in that word, so it's folks. But it's folks. I mean, the the English language is dumb to begin with. It sure is. But. You know one that somebody pointed out to me the other day that I had never thought of before is mustache and headache. Both end with A-C-H-E. Make it make sense. Well, the, I mean, oh, God, I just hit a a wrong button um but the big one is like the difference between comb bomb and tomb are Uh all omb but they're pronounced differently yeah that's bad how about o-u-g-h it could be oo or o or uff or off like cough or Or enough or through or though all of the same yeah english makes no sense at all or like kansas but arkansas no sense. No, no sense. sense whatsoever. It's a very recalcitrant language. Yeah, so what does that mean? It means uh, uncontrollable, basically. It's the, 
Well, yeah, you you can't control Ryan. Exactly. Ryan's, Ryan's a trendsetter. It means resisting authority Come ungovernable. or control. <laughs> Not obedient or compliant. That's why Ryan obedient. didn't celebrate 4th of July, because he doesn't want the government controlling him. The government can't control him. Yeah, because he is not obedient or compliant. He because is he's recalcitrant. Recalcitrant, yes. Oh, I, I just I made up that word, but I was pretty close. Recalcitrant is how it's spelled, but it's pronounced recalcitrant. Because well, there you go. English there's another. Yeah, there's right? another dumb English word. <laughs> yep. No, uh, no shortage of those. Yeah. No shortage of those. So, did you guys have a good holiday weekend? Yeah, can't complain. At least it wasn't too unbearably hot over the weekend. Yeah, it wasn't not hot, but it wasn't. It wasn't not hot, but it wasn't unbearably hot. Yeah, it could have definitely been worse. You know what couldn't have been worse? The Nets performance (laughs) over the weekend. The Dodgers series, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But before we get to that, uh, let's do the quick pitch, which is, should MLB get rid of the one player per team rule for the All-Star game? No. It's just, it's, it's really simple. No. Like, it's a four-fan event. Alienating fan bases like that would be really, really stupid. It's also a good way to help control teams with having too many All-Stars. I know a lot of Nats fans are screaming, get rid of it, because Max wasn't an All-Star. Every team needs to have someone represent them. The Mets only represent um, is Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom is he's going to start the all-star game. The Rockies needed someone such as Jermon Marquez. There's also a couple other teams that their only representative is going to be pitching. Casualties happen. It doesn't matter. It's an exhibition game. It's made for fans. Getting rid of it would be absolutely stupid. And like, I like how Nats fans are saying this, but if this rule didn't exist and if the Nats didn't have any all-stars, their fans would be, you know, crying. Mm -hmm. Right. And we talked about this a little bit in our interview, which you'll hear uh, in, in, in a little bit. But um, the Nats, if you're a true Nats fan, if you've been a Nats fan since day one, you remember the days where people like Tyler Clipper and Matt Caps were our only All-Star representatives and how good it felt to see them in the game. Like, hey, <laughs> we at least have one guy that deserves to be here in, right. in some regard. You could be like, hey, we were the Pirates once, guys. Right. But even the Pirates, <laughs> I'm glad you talked about the Pirates. The Pirates have two yeah. representatives, and both of them are deservingly, you know, all-star caliber players or all-star um, selections. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it, it all works out in the end. Ryan talked about it last week. It's fan voting, but for the most part, it all works out in the end, whether it's kind of a backdoor all-star selection, which is what Max is going to get. Max is going to be an all-star. One of the, the pitchers that has been selected are, is going to make a Saturday or Sunday start before the all-star game. They're going to not be eligible for the all-star game, and Max will get the nod because as is currently constructed with his rotation schedule, he'll make a midweek start. So, honestly, his next – start would be around when the all-star game would be max is going to be the all-star i understand the outrage he's having a phenomenal year he should have been all-star from the jump but at the end of the day it doesn't matter an all-star is an all-star but i saw someone make this great point on twitter it's also the reason why all-star selection shouldn't be uh, a huge uh, talking point in terms of career success for a Mm -hmm. player because it is fan voted mike trout Best player on earth, he hasn't played since early May, and he's an all-star starter. 
and he's right. not going to be in the All Star yeah, game. It so, is a popularity contest. So yeah, it, it all works out in the end. It's kind of a convoluted way to get there, but it all works out in the end. I understand kind of the, I guess, outrage when a, a deserving player like Max doesn't get in the first time around. But it all works out. I like that teams are represented. I remember what it's like when the Nats sucked. And we were just praying that even though we were knew we were going to have a representative, that, you know, Dimitri Young was going to go out and ball out at, at the All-Star game. So I, I have no that. problem with it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I actually, all of us agree on one, this one. I, I do think there should be at least one. Because imagine how terrible it would be if there, you know, your team had nobody there. I mean, every team has at least one guy who you could make an argument for. Even bad teams like the Pirates have two guys. And as you pointed out, they both deserve to be there. So I, I think it's important. It's meant to be something special for the fans, and you can't have entire fan bases with nobody to root for. So, right. it's you know, as you said, Max will probably, he's just the example this year, but there's always snubs. And All-Star, it just doesn't matter. And, you know, especially for somebody who's been to lots of All-Star games, and has you know been an all star lots of times, and honestly, if Max it's doesn't get the nod, about. he yeah. doesn't care, and he probably wouldn't mind a, a you know a week off, right? Or most of a week off. So. Yeah, and even the the teams with only one representative, their one representative is pretty deserving. Like the the um, Marlins have, I believe his name is Taylor Rogers. He's having a great year. Ryan just mentioned Ramon Marquez. Well, not as great as Max. He's having a solid year. Um, I can't and what a of, thrill for a guy like that who hasn't been to a bunch of all-star games. Right, and plus it's his home, home field. They're, the yeah. game's in core, so it means a little bit more. That one I, I, I'm okay with. So there's plenty of snubs. Max is just the most notable because of his pedigree and the name recognition, but there's plenty of snubs going around. But usually over these next two weeks leading up to the game, those guys kind of get backdoored in because of injuries and just uh, unavailability. Yeah from the current selections to, to play in the game. Yep. Okay. Well, we're talking about uh, All-Star Week. There's lots of other things around baseball to talk about. Baseball. It happened this weekend. Major League Baseball finally places Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer on the administrative leave amidst sexual assault investigation. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts does not expect him to return anytime soon. Police investigating the case say it is deeper than what was made public. Former Dodger player says he will not attend the team's 40th World Series celebration due to the team not wanting to discipline Bauer. The curse of the no-hitter is the theme this year. Matt Bum tossed seven no-innings in April 25th. The Diamondbacks lost 24 straight road games. John Means tossed a no-hitter on May 5th. The Orioles lost the next 20 road games. Zach Davies and company tossed a combined no-hitter on June 24th. The Cubs have not won since, and all nine of those games have been on the road. Dodgers have not lost since being no-hit, and are currently tied with the Red Sox for the best record in baseball. When the Cubs tossed their no-hitter, they were tied for first and were assumed to be buyers. Well... They have not won a game since. The Brewers have lost once, and now the Cubs are eight and a half back in the division. Shohei Otani becomes the first player in MLB history to be named an all-star at the pitcher and position player. He also becomes the first player ever to pitch, hit, and participate in the home run derby in one 
weekend. To the NL East, the in last place are the 35 and 47 Marlins. They took two or three from the Braves and currently have a series with the Dodgers right now. Sixo Sanchez is set to have season-ending arm surgery. In fourth place are the 39 and 42 Phillies. They took two or three from the Padres and now face the Cubs as Arietta makes his first start against the Phillies. In third place are the 40 and 42 Nats. More on them in a second. In second place are the 41 and 42 Braves. They lost two or three to the Marlins and are now losing to the Pirates. They stunned the Marlins with a great late inning comeback to avoid a sweep, and they plan on playing Orlando Arcia in left field more often. And first are the 47 and sorry, excuse me, 43 and 37 Mets. They have a three-game set with the Brewers. They took two, three from the Yankees, and they also blew up Garrett Cole and Araldo Chapman in the Bronx. This has been your week in review. Yeah, what a difference a series makes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, um, I was I was feeling pretty good about myself <laughs> after that last run from the Nats, but this series was depressing. Uh, a sweep, it was not even a pretty, it wasn't even like close. Uh, it was just an ugly series for a lot of reasons. Um, injuries, just terrible. Um, you guys have any sort of overarching thoughts on that, that Dodgers series before we get into the so, nitty gritty? This is one of those things that kind of separates the good teams from the bad teams. And unfortunately, the Nats are the latter of that. Um, being swept isn't really surprising. The way the Nats are playing, you knew it wasn't going to be, you know, going on forever. They were going to regress to the mean at some point. Um, it just happened that they did have a couple injuries in there. But injuries aren't an excuse, and I really don't like seeing people use them as an excuse. The, well, we got swept, but, you know, we were really hurt, so, like, it doesn't really count. That's not how sports work. Like, injuries aren't an excuse because every single team deals with them. What separates the good teams and the bad teams is the depth you have to help you overcome your injuries. The Mets currently have 11 pitchers alone on the IL. They also set the record for the most players on their opening day roster on the IL. They've been in first place for the most of the season. Now they may very well be a product of their um, division, but that's fine. They're still winning in above 500. The Nats lost Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber, and next thing you know, they were a high-A team. Like, injuries are an excuse. The biggest issue here is this team has absolutely no depth whatsoever. Yeah, and Ryan hit the nail on the head when he said this was, This is what separates the good teams from the bad, because you can point to the injuries, but every team points to injuries. You can point to the wacky way this four-game set played out with all the, the weather and firework, or lack thereof, or I guess it... Um, Saturday's game was postponed due to it being on Fox as opposed to local broadcast. But just the, the way the series played out, the Dodgers had to go through that too, right? All the obstacles the Nats had to face with the weather and having to play an 11 a.m. game after a 7 p.m. start that experienced a two-hour long rain delay didn't get done till after midnight. The Dodgers had to go through that too, but they were still able to sweep. And that's what makes the Dodgers a good team and makes the Nats, as currently constructed, not a good team. They have been playing great baseball. Should, you know, Kyle Schwarber come back relatively soon, Trey Turner come back uh, relatively unharmed and unaffected by, by his finger injury, they can still be a good team. But are they a legitimate contender? Are they Dodgers level? No, because they can't. Split. They can't do the most. We talked about this all season. It's one reason I'm still out on, on the Nats is that they 
have time and time again failed to do what they needed to do. We talked about this on our last episode. They needed to split. A split wouldn't have felt great, but it's better than the alternative. And right now, this is the alternative. We were never going to go and sweep the Dodgers. The Dodgers are just too good of a team, but that's okay. As long as we took care of what we needed to do, and we didn't. It was literally the, the series could not have played out any worse with the result and obviously the injuries as well. So it's frustrating, but this is just a culmination of what we've seen the Nats to be over the course of the season. It's hard to argue with any of that. Um, you know, obviously a four game sweep takes a huge chunk out of this, this run up. I mean, they did win the first three. Um, so they're three and four in this 17 game stretch, you know, in the run up to the all-star break here. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but a series against the Padres isn't going to be, isn't going to be easy. I would like to point out that the Dodgers are losing to the Marlins right now, which does not make me feel better about the sweep (laughs) this weekend. Um, So, you know, you're absolutely right that the Ryan, what you said about depth. I mean, obviously this, this team is an inch deep, like your starters get knocked out and you've just got nobody. And then they also had this really you know, unfortunate run of injuries in the minors where even guys who wouldn't have been great replacements are hurt. You know what I mean? And then who do you go to then? Like people we've never heard of, they, they, you know, go out and get people that, you know, shouldn't be on the roster. So it's hard right now to see them. It's hard to see them really being contenders with the lack of depth. Um, I, I still think that if they can pull out enough in this, this approach to the trade deadline that they may be buyers and try to shore up some of those weak spots. But I still think there's nothing that they're not that they couldn't do it, but nothing that they will do between now and the trade deadline, even if they decide to be buyers, that's going to make them able to compete in a seven game series with a team like the Dodgers. Yeah. Oh, wow. If they were to make the playoffs, do you know what I mean? Like I, I can't see, the Nats being a team that can compete with the teams that have that kind of depth. Uh, sorry, uh, I just said wow because uh, Trey Turner homered in his first pitch back from me. Yes, he's feeling okay. <laughs> so I don't I have the TV in my office, so I'm missing it. I better open MLB's uh, game. First, first pitch back. Um, yeah, so obviously the, that kind of just negates a lot of what, <laughs> what we just said, but the depth – is such a big part of the team. That's why, or of the team success in the season, we, we all pointed it out coming into the season. The Nats did not have a lot of depth and going over 162 games, that depth will come into play. You're not going to be fully healthy for 162 games. It's just not ever going to happen. So you need to be prepared and you need to have contingency plans. And that's very much did not. They were relying on their key guys to stay healthy and not only stay healthy, but to produce at very competitive and successful levels, which also is not a a strategy or a game plan that that's just a bonus, right? They, they depended on Patrick Corbin to pitch to his 2019 level he, they depended on John Lester to eat innings. They they depended on who have now kind of turned it around, but they depended on Kyle Schorber and Josh Bell to produce the better part of their careers, not what we've kind of seen recently with their careers. So it, it was just so much that had to go right for the Nats. And while when it was going right, like the, the past two, three weeks, it had been fun to watch, but that's not sustainable over 162. So now one thing goes wrong, 
then it kind of spirals into a, a bunch of things going wrong. And the Nats have no answers. They're trading for guys that haven't played in the majors for in two years to now lead off games for them. Yeah, right? I just noticed that as I opened the MLB app because I don't have the game on in my office. I don't have a TV. And so I'm like, Escobar is our leadoff guy tonight. Oh, God. <laughs> Which, since we're on that topic, he did a great job as a leadoff guy. He saw nine pitches from Joe Musgrove before grounding out. Yeah, the ground out isn't the, the result you wanted, but... As nine a leadoff guy, seeing nine pitches is, yeah. is a good. It's just hilarious that yeah. he's a leadoff guy. Like uh, Rizzo says, he's going to be a championship roster, and they have a guy with a career two eighty right. on base percentage. Last time he was in the majors, he had a negative twenty DRS, and like he's going to be a regular starter. It's just we're down bad right now. I mean, it's just <laughs> the best way to put it. Yes, it really. There's is. there's no better way to describe it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's not ideal, that's for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit. We just talked briefly about Trey's finger injury. Obviously, he's feeling better because he just hit a homer on his first pitch he saw. So he's back. Um, obviously, that wasn't as big of an issue as the finger in 2019. Uh, but the Schwarber thing, I heard somebody today saying he might be out two months. Hopefully, that's not the case. But, I mean, this is a significant, that was the, the word that Davey Martinez used was a significant strain to his hamstring, which just could not have come at a worse time when the Nats are dealing with other injuries. But when he was, it was when Schwarber went on that tear that the whole offense turned around. And now mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, I, I kept thinking, okay, he's going to regress a little bit. He can't keep up at this pace. This is insane. And of course that was going to happen, but to go from Schwarber being the hottest hitter on planet earth to no Schwarber at all is brutal. He was starting to come down a little bit. Um, he was six for his last 24 in his last seven games. Like that's fine. That's 250, but that's not the pace he was earlier. It still hurts because what he was able to provide at the top of the order when he was clicking like that, Trey was also hot. And then Soto was behind them. Those guys were all getting pitched to, which is something teams have been able to avoid for most of the season. Um, when he said the good news was that he doesn't need surgery, you knew it was going to be an issue. And hamstrings have a tendency to linger. So I feel like he's going to be out for quite some time. Um, and it really, really sucks because for a couple of reasons. One, he was hot. The lineup was going. So like, if he was able to continue even probably half of that, they're still going to be producing mad runs and winning some games. The other half of it also can't trade them. So that sucks also. Um, hopefully everything goes okay and he's not out too long because this team really needs him. Yeah, and even uh, as Ryan pointed out, the, the kind of most recent stretch from Schorber wasn't to that that pace that we saw most of June. The, the threat of him at the top of the lineup and starting off the game 1-0 was in pitchers' heads because you had Kyle Schorber, obviously, who was on a historic tear in June, but then you had Trey Turner and Juan Soto following right after him. So it's kind of like pick your poison. We mm-hmm. saw Kyle Schorber make games one nothing several times, and I don't know what our record was in those games that Kyle Schorber homered, but obviously based on the, the way we've been playing, there, there was a direct correlation between Corber, Cor, or a Shorver's stretch and and the Nats' success, right, as you guys just said. So it's a huge loss. It can't be understated. Obviously, you're glad Trey's back and so far looking like normal all-star level Trey. But now it's like who, who's going to step up 
to replace Schorber. Schorber was supposed to be stepping up to replace Rendon, realistically. That's Mm kind of what I talked about in our last episode. If the Nats, as currently constructed, wanted to replicate the 2019 magic, who was going to be the Anthony Rendon role? And obviously, we all pointed to Kyle Schorber because of his success. So now that he's out, I mean, I guess Josh Bell is the realistic answer, but we haven't seen – Josh Bell has been super, super solid this year, but we haven't seen otherworldly – Josh Bell, like the first half of what 2019 when he went on that tear, we haven't seen that, and I'm not sure we will see that. And that's not necessarily a, a, a knock on Josh Bell because the stuff that Kyle Schwarber was doing was again historic. So as the Nats stand, they don't have that firepower, which is again what we talked about heading into the season. Where's the firepower coming from? If not from Schwarber who you signed specifically to provide that firepower, where is it coming from? Because it's not coming from anyone outside of Trey Turner, really. Yeah, it would be nice if it were coming from Juan Soto, um, you know, who has been improving but still has not been anything what he was last year or in 2019. Um, You know, it stands to reason that Soto was never going to be able to, you know, maintain that forever. But I, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's been disappointing this year. I mean, we're, we're, we're in July now. This isn't a, Hey, it's early. Hey, you know, he missed some time at the beginning of the season. Like we're well enough past that now that to, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think, but I'm firmly in the, I'm feeling a little disappointed in Soto's production up to this point. Well, I'm just going to segue this into an article I have coming out tomorrow that Nats fans are spoiled. Yes, and totally. That <laughs> Ryan talked about this recently as well. It was, uh, I can't remember the word you used, Ryan, so I apologize, but it was wrong of Mike Rizzo in the front office to expect Juan Soto's production from 2020 to be extrapolated over 162 games mm-hmm. and, and continue he's still a solid player just oh, because absolutely. yeah just because he's not and i'm not saying you you were saying he wasn't but just because he's not to the level we saw in 2020 does not mean you know he he hasn't had a good year obviously it's different from the Juan Soto we've come to know so far in his career that's that's my point is but, that it's not like i'm disappointed in the like i don't want that guy on my team and yeah, something no, like that i'm just I saying know. he's not been the guy that you kind of hoped he would be and the way they constructed the roster you needed him to be, you know, they didn't put the pieces around him to, for him to be able to be a good player, even a very good player. They, they built the team as in he needed to be the spectacular player he's been, and maybe he will be again, but you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about, you know, that he's not seeing the off speed pitches the way he, he was last year, the year before, like, you know, we could analyze what's going on with Juan Soto. That's a whole different conversation. But just when you expect from him really isn't realistic to expect from a guy over 162 games or over the course of years. But it is what we expected, and it is what we needed him to be for the team to be successful. And that's not his fault. That That's the way the roster was constructed. But I do think it's fair to say if what we expected from him was what he has done in the past, then it has not. It has not. he has not lived up to that level thus far this year right and to kind of circle back and tie a bow on on this whole conversation that's what separates the good teams from the bad teams the good teams don't need their superstar guy to be a superstar every single game day in day out they can withstand 
the you know ups and downs and ebbs and flows of a season and a player's production over the course of a season and you know not let it affect their their wins and losses whereas the nets win or live or die by the success of their superstars and that has recently included Kyle Schorber as well take Kyle Schorber away which obviously is a, a large part of our production over the, the past month or so take Kyle Schorber away how many games do we do we win realistically cuz he provided a lot yeah how many of, of those games over the past month during that nice stretch from them how many do we win without Schorber hitting like he did i i think he was the you know the spark plug and as you pointed out other guys behind him were getting a lot more you know we're seeing different pitches because of the situation with Schwarber. So his loss, I think, can't be yeah, it can't be overstated how bad of a loss that is. Trey being out as well was brutal, of course, and he's back. And you know Trey has been on a tear as well. It's been kind of overshadowed by Schwarber lately, but he's been really fantastic too. So it's not like they don't have good things going on. I just don't think they've got all the pieces in place to hold it together. The the offense was so anemic up until June, and that was largely, you know, the catalyst for the the swing in the offensive production was Schwarber. And now that Schwarber's out, I just don't know. I don't know if we're going to see it go all the way back to what we were watching them do in April and May, but I think it's going to be closer to that than what we saw in June. Yeah, and that's uh, another thing I'm going to – or that will be in my article that re- releases on the website tomorrow, but – the Nats don't have the pieces in place, in my opinion, to to hang in there and, and stay above water. The Kyle Schorber loss is, is massive, and that leads me to want them to sell at the deadline, as we've talked about plenty of times over the past couple of weeks, and we'll talk about plenty of times more leading up to the deadline uh, in the weeks coming. So you just really need to be open to, to selling those guys. And like Ryan said, if Schorber's hurt for – more more uh god i can't talk right now if schorber's hurt past july 31st you can't trade him yeah so that's the that's big issue huge, he was the biggest trade piece probably. problem yeah because i i don't think they're going to trade max so schorber would have netted you a good solid prospect so now that you can't trade him brad hand and after brad hand it's really just role players and it's a matter of how much are the the nats willing to sell and kind of break it down i don't believe they are willing to break it down all that much uh based on recent history and mike's mike rizzo's tendencies mm-hmm. they already just signed or uh, traded for alcides escobar like we mentioned but that was more of a necessity than anything so we'll, we'll have they, to see they had more. nobody literally just needed a warm body <laughs> right they, they have to we'll have to see how long he sticks around and what that means for people like jordy mercer but I think they really need to sell because 2021 is not looking good if you're not having someone like Kyle Schrober in the lineup. Yeah, and I have to say if the biggest piece they have available for trade since Max is likely off the table is Brad Hand, I don't see them doing it because we don't really have another reliable arm in the back end of the bullpen than Hand. And so you're really punting on the season if you trade Hand. And I just don't think that's in, that's in Rizzo's nature. Well, uh, I, I agree with that, but also uh, 
some minor new I guess it's major considering the state of our bullpen, but Daniel Hudson and Kyle Finnegan threw bullpens recently. So oh, they should be good. approaching a return. So if you have both those guys back, it makes parting potentially parting with Brad Hand a little bit more uh, realistic. Yeah, that's certainly true. Hopefully Hudson will be back sooner than later. Yep. Glad to hear he's throwing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk All-Stars. We touched on that a bit earlier during the quick pitch segment. Um, the Nats have three. Max not being there certainly is it does sting a bit, considering the season he's having. He certainly deserved it. But Trey, Soto, and Schwarber, obviously Schwarber won't be playing. But um, three All-Stars is pretty respectable. I just want to point out, Nats fans were so furious Trey wasn't a finalist. And I kept saying, he's going to be an all-star. Who cares? And they're like, this is an abomination. And what do you know? He's an all-star. Like I kept trying to say. Goodness. But yeah, congrats to Trey Turner and Juan Soto. They finally get their first all-star appearances. That's good for them. Um, I think Trey should play. I think his finger is finalist. The Nats want him to just rest that week. But it'll be nice to see. Um, really good for them. I was surprised Schwarber made it, but the players gave him the nod with the last month or so he was having. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, um, one year deal guy does an all-star. It's a pretty good one year deal. And yeah, congratulations to those three repping the team in Denver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about this in our interview too, so I'm not trying to uh, talk about it twice as you guys will hear coming up shortly, but, uh, they're all, all-star caliber Juan Soto w- was a little bit surprised but he's gotten uh snubbed in past uh years with he's deserved his, it more in other his 20, years. yeah his 2019 performance and obviously not having an all-star game last year where he definitely would have been all-star if not uh even an all-star starter so him getting in I mean I'm perfectly fine with that and it's no skin off my back but Honestly, Brad Hand had a, had a case for for being an All Star as well. So there's two one year deals uh, orchestrated by Mike Rizzo that have turned out pretty well. So credit where credit is due. Yes, and I know this is our uh, Nats centric part of the show, but um, can we just talk for a moment about Shohei Otani? <laughs> like I don't even I, I have no words. I mean, what I will can you always say? talk about him. <laughs> This needs to be like I don't understand how like what Shohei Otani is doing, how it isn't the biggest sto- sports story in years. How like, is anybody thinking about or talking about anything else? It's absolutely absurd what he is going to do. Like he's going to be in the home run derby, which he deserves. He is going to pitch, which he deserves. He's going to hit in the SDH, which he deserves, and it's unreal how great he is for baseball cannot be understated. And it's so much fun. I am so happy he is finally turning out to be how he was playing in Japan. And it's really funny seeing how wrong a lot of scouts were about him, calling him just a high school player. And, like, the talent's not going to transfer because, boy, is he special. Yeah, could you have been any more wrong? Like, there's like, no level of – you could not have been more wrong. You were the wrongest it was possible to be if you were one of those people who thought his talent wouldn't translate. And he just he just turned 27. Um I don't think he does the two-way thing much longer, so it just makes it even more special and even more reason to just enjoy it. Enjoy it because it's unreal and it's so taxing on the body. So the fact that he's doing this at such a high level, unreal. Before his recent start against the Yankees, where he gave up seven in the first, uh, he was firmly in, in consideration for the Cy Young as well, and 
who knows, maybe if he goes on, on a second half run uh, on the mound, at least maybe he's back in that conversation, but that's my MVP pick. And it, it's looking pretty solid. Obviously you can't discount what people like Vlad jr. Are doing. Cause he's an absolute wagon, but Shohei Otani, what he's doing, obviously we, we haven't seen it done since I guess Babe Ruth. And there's an argument to be made that Shohei Otani is doing it at a better level based on the, you know, the way the game is played today and the talent you see uh, on, on team, team to team. So it, it's must-see TV. And I saw uh, the broadcast in Japan. They have a Shohei cam. So even when he's playing like left field, they have a camera solely dedicated on the screen to watch Shohei Otani at all times. And honestly, I need that feature on MLD, MLB TV or wherever the games are broadcast. I just need to watch Shohei Otani every single right. time. The, the Angels are a dumpster fire. nationwide right. at all times. The, the Angels <laughs> are a dumpster fire. I don't really care about what the Angels do. I just care about Shohei Otani. <laughs> As a baseball fan, you just, I just marvel at it. It's just, it's so unbelievable. So the word unbelievable gets used for things that are in fact believable all the time. Shohei Otani is unbelievable. Yep. You know what else is unbelievable? Tell us. The Lawnmower 4.0 brought to you in part by, (laughs) or I guess brought to you in full by our partners at Manscaped. It's the Lawnmower 4.0, and you can get it in the new Performance Package 4.0. The trimmer is insane, insane. The fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I mean, fellas, you know what it's like manscaping. If you can avoid accidents, you want to avoid the accidents, and you can do just that with Lawnmower 4.0. And also, it's waterproof, too, so you can do it in the shower, I mean, in the wild, if you're camping or something, I don't know. Whatever the situation may be where you have to manscape, the Lawnmower 4.0 is your go-to tool to use. So go to manscaped.com, go get the Lawnmower 4.0, and use our promo code to help uh, save your wallet a little bit. HSHH20 will get you 20% off and free shipping on the Lawnmower 4.0 and any of their great products over at Manscaped. So please go do yourself a favor, help us out uh, in the process, get the Lawnmower 4.0 and a bunch of other products to help you out. The Performance Package 4.0, you'll get the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, which is their ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver, which is a ball deodorant. Crop Reviver, which is a toner. You even get boxer briefs and a travel bag. I mean, you get all of that in one neat package and you can be have a neat package yourself with the lawnmower 4.0 so go do that hshh20 for 20 percent off and free shipping speaking of neat packages um nick and myself sat down with blake finney of federal baseball we had a fantastic interview with him we talked all things nats after a pretty big and interesting weekend for them so we hope you guys enjoy We're now joined by Blake Finney, writer for Federal Baseball. You guys can find him on Twitter at Finney Blake. And make sure you guys head over to Federal Baseball's website to keep up with everything Nats. Blake, how you doing, man? Doing all good. Uh, it was an interesting series that we've just uh, just watched between the Nationals and Dodgers. But yeah, all good. Yeah, it was interesting indeed. Um the Nats were playing by far their best baseball of the season. They really got to benefit of being one of the few healthy teams in the uh, very, very interesting NL East this season. But that pretty much changed before this series. We saw Kyle Schwarber 
during the game, pull his hamstring. Uh, Trey has this issue with his finger that happened when you saying the triple. And that's kind of, you know, not the best time to lose two of your three best hitters, especially when you're about to play the Dodgers, have your toughest stretch and probably your most important stretch of the season. As we saw, the series did not go very well. Do you think this team can find its groove again without Trey and Schwarber, or are we in for a pretty rough stretch from now until the All-Star break? Yeah, I don't think the injuries could have come at a much worse time given who they've, who they've just played in the Dodgers and obviously getting swept in four games and then having to go play the Padres, the Giants, and then the Padres right out of the break again. So it's a pretty rough break to have all these injuries pile up now. Um, it's going to be tough maybe if they can just about hang with it I guess that that's about all they can do then the schedule does ease up after the break I think right now they've got the 12th easiest schedule but once they clear the Padres the Giants and the Padres again that should leave them with one of the easiest schedules left in baseball so I think their goal right now even though it's kind of a low bar is to maybe hang around 500 during this and maybe it can kind of sit, give the front office a bit more to go on as we kind of get towards the trade deadline. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal, especially with the stretch that Schwab was on, kind of historic power numbers there. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was going to take me to my next question. What would this stretch have to look like until... I don't know if we've gotten a definitive timeline on how long Schwarber will be out, but what do the Nats need to do to, quote-unquote, stay alive, hang around, whatever it may be? just looking at the, this team kind of in a vacuum with without Kyle Schorber and potentially without Trey Turner, although it looks like he, he's going to be back sooner rather than later, considering he hasn't been uh, officially placed on the IL yet. Uh, is this team good enough to hang around? Uh, we've had a ton of offensive problems all year long and then insert Kyle Schorber's monster month and that kind of quelled any concerns. But if you still look at the the lineup as a whole, there's not a lot of, safety net so to speak so do you think this team can stick around yeah i think we're about to find out i i don't know if the lineup is necessarily their biggest problem right now i think it's more the bullpen because yeah. bull, in the bullpen you've got brad hand and then brad hand guys. yeah yeah <laughs> like at the moment they're relying on austin both sam clay wonder swero for those big innings which isn't really what you want in the build-up to that so i think that's their main issue but Coming back to the offense, uh, yeah, like you say, there isn't really a timeline on Carl Schwarber yet. David did call it a significant hamstring strain, um, and they don't think it will just be a 10-day IL thing. This could be something that's going to keep him out for two, three weeks, something along those lines. But obviously, we've got to kind of wait and see how that plays out, wait and see how his recovery goes. Um, but hopefully, they should get Trey Turner back um, fairly soon. David said kind of beginning or middle of this week, so maybe not right away, but... Obviously, the fact they haven't placed him on the IL yet means that they're optimistic that they can at least get him back for probably some, maybe most of these games before the All-Star break. Um, and in terms of sticking with it, I think the next 10 games are kind of the big ones where you've got, like I said, the Padres, the Giants, and the Padres. Again, if they can go 5-5 five and five in that stretch of 10 games, then after the break, you've got, I think you've got the Marlins, you've got the Phillies, who... They've done pretty well against so far this season, and that's where you can start to make that ground back up. Um, so, yeah, I think f five and five is kind of my goal for the next 10 games either side of the break, and they should be good enough. Hopefully, again, some of these bullpen injuries might come back soon. Kyle Finnegan threw 
a simulated game on Sunday morning. So because he's only been out a couple of weeks, he might be able to come back without a rehab assignment. And Daniel Hudson threw a 50 pitch bullpen over the weekend. I can't remember exactly when. Um, so he may need maybe a rehab outing or two and he'll be back soon. So if they can hang around before and after, then I think they can be good enough to potentially make a run, especially in the NOE. So it's very beat up and very tight compared to some of the other divisions. Mm-hmm. You mentioned trade Turner. Do you think the fact that they traded for Alcides Escobar was a potential sign that they are downplaying his finger injury? Or is that more so the fact that they had quite literally no other options? Alex for Avila, to baby. To? <laughs> Alex Avila. Tor- yeah. <laughs> Lasted five innings. <laughs> hey, Avila made some plays at shortstop position. So he did. And it cost him <laughs> both his calves. <laughs> um. I, I don't think they're necessarily downplaying it. Like you say, I think it's because they literally had no one. Carter Keeboom was out injured. Luis Garcia was out injured. Even at double A, Jackson Clough was down injured. Adrian Sanchez was down injured. Like they had to get a fresh body in. And you saw that when they called up Humberto Artiega, um, even if it was just for the one game and designated him for assignment. I think they needed, they needed a warm body at shortstop who can at least play the position. Obviously, I think he's a former gold glover there. So... I think that's primarily what they wanted rather than just rolling with Stalin Castro at shortstop or Alex Avila at second base again. Um, so, yeah, I think he was just a, a short-term fix because of the lack of depth that's kind of hit by the injuries at middle infield. Yeah, and um, with the, the, the move for Escobar and obviously – a couple of opportunities we'll say popping up with obviously Schwarber going down and the bullpen not looking like what was once perceived to be a strength at the beginning of the season for the Nats. Could you see them making a couple other, maybe not major moves, but these, you know, mid-level trades to get in reinforcements to help us stay afloat until we get some of these key guys back? Yeah, I think it was something I wrote about about a week ago when Tanner Rainey went to the IO and I thought, well, the bullpen is Brad Hand and then not a lot else. So if they could have made that preemptive move, and then we saw it in the Dodgers series where they actually hung with the Dodgers early on. I think uh, Mark Zuckerman put up a stat this morning or last night that the Nationals actually outscored the Dodgers 9-6 to six in the first four innings, and then the Dodgers outscored the Nats 20-2 to two in the last uh, five innings. So the bullpen became a huge issue then, and kind of preempting that, it would have been nice. And now... If they can make a trade, obviously, I think every team going into the trade deadline, you can never get enough relief help. So maybe jumping the gun a bit like they did in 2018 when Mm -hmm. they went and got Kelvin Herrera, obviously, that season didn't pan out. But Rizzo has been aggressive making these trades before. So maybe they could find something, maybe over the All-Star break as well, when they've got a little bit more time to sit down and assess things together, then potentially we'll see. But it, it's something I could definitely see and would something that would be a huge benefit in the short term as well as the long term. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be looking to add at the trade deadline? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, but I think before this Dodgers series, we were coming in, the Nationals were two games above 500. They have won whatever it was, nine of their last 10, 13 of their last 16, something along those lines. And at that point, it did look like they were going to be buyers. And I don't think a four-game sweep at the hands of the best team when you're so beat up should change that that much. Now, obviously, if they go on and lose like nine of their next 10, 
or a similar stretch in the other direction, then I think that does swing it back to potentially becoming sellers. But at this point, I don't think getting swept by the Dodgers should change where things were heading right now. I think we've got to see how the next few games go. And there's still, obviously, we're in July now, but we've still got what four weeks before the deadline. So there's still time to kind of gauge the situation. And let me, you know, kind of expand upon that with uh, like we just highlighted a series against the Padres, the Giants, and then back to the Padres who are three of the best teams in baseball. Is there a stretch or um, a bad stretch that would lead the Nats to be sellers? Because that that's obviously been one of the, the big talking points all season long. Back in May, you got the conversations about trading Max Scherzer, what would a Max Scherzer trade package look like? And obviously now we go on this run and it doesn't seem like we're going to be selling anymore. We've never really seen the Nats be full-fledged sellers before. They kind of did it in 2018, but that was after the, the trade deadline. That was with the waiver deadline, so it wasn't really anything substantial, and we didn't get a, a substantial return from it. Is there a stretch within the next three weeks that we see the Nats go on that would lead them to becoming sellers, or are they full-on you know, pushing towards staying afloat and trying to make a run at this thing? Yeah, like I said, I do think there is a scenario where they can become sellers. Like you say, it's a huge stretch coming up against some of the best teams, and they're still pretty beat up. So again, if they come out of these 10 games and lose 9 of 10, they're suddenly 11 games under 500 coming towards the end of July, even if you do have the Marlins and the Orioles and the Phillies next. So I I can see a scenario where they do become sellers, um, but it's too early to say, like I said, Coming into this four-game series with the Dodgers, it did look like they were going to be buyers and just getting beaten up by one of the best teams in baseball when you're battered and bruised from the injuries may not change that course yet, but there's still, what, three weeks of baseball left to figure that out. Right. Yeah, and switching gears just a little bit, the Nats are going on a West Coast trip. Um, They do get... The Padres now, um, Joe Musgrove is going to be pitching the first game of the season. No, excuse me, the series. I believe they're also going, oh, no, they're going to miss you, Darvish, as well, which is probably a pretty nice thing for them. Um, what is your expectations for this series? What do you think the Nats are going to have to do to really excel at to potentially split or even win this series? I think they need big performances from the first two pitches in the series, John Lester and Patrick Corbin, obviously they've been two of the bigger disappointments so far this season, got ERAs in the five so far when at least from Lester, you would hope he would have something around four, even if he was just like not him, not his former self where he's been one of the better pitches in baseball, but you would hope that he would be able to eat innings and he just hasn't done that. He needs to step up. Even if it's just a quality start of, six innings, three earned, that would be pretty good and keep them in the game against Joe Musgrove in the first game. And then I think the the Patrick Corbin story has been one of the bigger ones this season and how his contract is going to play out the rest of the way. Obviously, his contract is already considered a success for what he did in 2019, but the contract doesn't magically end. The credits didn't roll at the end of the World Series. You still have to go through those five years. So mm-hmm. they need big improvement from him. And then in the last two games, you've got Max um, against Chris Paddock, I believe, and then Paolo Espino, robbed of being an all-star, I think. (laughs) Um, So hopefully you can um, get some of that starting pitching to 
perform, especially those first two guys in Leicester and Corbin, to take the load off the bullpen um, that's very beat up. And then hopefully you can maybe get a split. Um, but there's a there's a lot of ifs and buts on that it get against one of the best and most exciting teams in baseball. Yep. And you mentioned it, so I want to segue to it. Paolo Espino was obviously robbed of being uh, an all-star, but so was Max Scherzer. That was one of the surprising results when the the announcements were made yesterday. Um, but it was also pretty surprising to me, maybe I, I'm, I'm alone here, that Juan Soto and Kyle Schorber were uh, named all-stars. Juan Soto seemed like it was more name recognition, which obviously uh, he kind of got robbed last year at short season and all that, but he put up great numbers last year. And Kyle Schorber had a great month of June, but that's one-third of the season to this point. Did that surprise you? And uh, kind of what are your takeaways from the, the all-star votes? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll start off with the slam dunk that was Trey Turner getting an all-star nod. Mm-hmm. I think it was pretty clear at shortstop that you had Turner and Tatis, who we're both going to see in this series, and pretty neck and neck in terms of their stats. So I don't blame the fans for voting for Tatis, who's one of the most electric players in baseball to start. But then Trey Turner had to make it. I think that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I was a bit surprised that Soto making it. I think Schwab was slightly less of a surprise. Obviously, that great month propelled him today. It was mm-hmm. historic, but where it left him was with, what, the second most home runs in the National League behind Tatis, um, and he was eighth in Fangraph's war coming into this series with the Padres, so I think that's about where you'd expect him, um, and especially with the home runs and the stretch that he's been on. That wasn't wholly surprising. Soto was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and like you say, it is potentially some of the name recognition, but he has also been snubbed in 2019 was mm-hmm. the one that I thought about. So maybe it's some makeup for that. And people want to see one of the best hitters in the game. If he ends up facing some of the best that the American league has to offer, that's going to be must see TV, even in an exhibition. Um, and Scherzer, I, yeah, I was like you where I was surprised that he wasn't, included i think some of it is some of the teams needing a representative at the all-star game so you've got herman marquez for the rockies who's been, he's been great but shows have been better but the rockies needed a representative and trevor rogers from the marlins but roger rogers has been excellent as well i think the biggest surprise for me was someone like you darvish getting in where the padres actually do have quite a few representatives there and i think in practically every category shows has been better but i think scherzer is going to inevitably go i don't think DeGrom is going to go to the All-Star game to kind of manage some of the injuries that he's had this season. And Kevin Gosman is actually lined up to start Sunday against the Nationals as things stand. So he might not end up going and then they can bring Max in, who is set to go on. Uh, he'll be going at some point in the middle of the week, I think. So would free him up to go to the All-Star game. Yeah, you, you talked about um, some teams needing a representative. The Mets need a representative, and that's the only reason why Jacob DeGrom made the All-Star game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're just going to hand them the start, too, which is so wild. But some of the conversation amongst Snack Twitter right now is talking about, does each team need a representative in the All-Star game? I want to see your opinion on it. Do you like the current rule that every single team is uh, represented, or you think it's time to move past that? Yeah, I think for the All-Star game, I still think that's fine just to kind of give every team some sort of representation there. If it was more like, 
I think um, when ESPN have done their like all MLB teams, I don't know if that's become more of a thing now. That's where you're going purely on stats. But again, this is an event where the fans are voting for the starters. I don't think it's purely based on performance, and that's where you can kind of get teams' representatives coming into it. So I'm still okay with it in the current format where it is a fan exhibition game. If they start to try and make it more serious and make it purely on statistics and who's actually having the better seasons then that's where you kind of move away from it but for now I'm still I still think it's the right thing to do yeah I agree and you look at some of the teams that have representatives I mean the the Pirates have two representatives themselves (laughs) and two deserving representatives so I think it's not that big a problem and for the true Nats fans they remember when uh People like Tyler Clippard and Matt Caps were our only representatives at the All-Star game. So, you know, you got to pay it forward in some respect as well. Um, turning it back just a little bit, um, I should have said it when you mentioned his name. You talked about Paolo Espino, and he should have been an All-Star. He's been quite a surprise filling in the Nats rotation. And honestly, anywhere the Nats need him. Do you see a situation where when this entire rotation is healthy – he stays in the rotation. Like, is that possible or is that just not going to happen? I, I don't think the success is necessarily sustainable. I think throughout his time with the Nationals, I've kind of seen his parallel to Javi Guerra back in 2019 where he can go and eat some innings, but I, I don't see him being a starter when you have got, with a fully healthy rotation, you've got Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, who are going to be locked in at the top of the rotation Eric Fetty and Joe Ross, who have both been pitching really well this season when healthy. Um, And then you've got to find somewhere for Patrick Corbin and John Lester. So I think even when everyone's healthy, I I would prefer to see Espino coming out of the bullpen, eating multiple innings when they're a lot of runs up, a lot of runs down, or even going into a shorter role, which he's excelled in. Like he, he got his first career save against the Phillies in that wild game at Citizens Bank Park. So I think... That's where he's going to excel in. But for now, he's doing a great job in the rotation. And I think he's earning his place on a big league roster by doing this rather than earning his place in the starting rotation. I agree. And someone like that is incredibly valuable throughout the season, especially with everything that happens to pitchers. So like the fact that he's been able to do this has been really fantastic. And last question. Shifting gears a little bit. You know, we always like to end on a fun question, but it's also the most important question you're going to be asked. And is England going to win the Euros this year? Do they have enough? Am I, am I going to be a homer? <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I think I'm going to be a homer. I th- we, we should beat Denmark on Wednesday. Um, it is a case of, are we the baddies now against Denmark after the Ericsson thing in the group stage and I think everyone's going to be rooting for Denmark apart from England fans um, but the final is going to be tough I think Italy are going to make it past Spain on Tuesday and Italy have looked excellent so far and I think they're probably they could probably beat England but yeah I, I, I'm going to be a homer we've got the home advantage at Wembley now for the semi-finals and final if we make it so it, it's coming home <laughs> so homer Oh yeah! always be a homer um well blake want to thank you for taking time out of your day and speaking with us hopefully england does bring that home and also hopefully the nats can write things again after this tough 
series. You guys can follow Blake on Twitter at Finney Blake. And make sure you guys head over to Federal Baseball and check out all of his latest work. Blake, thanks so much, man. Thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. Yep. Once again, thank you so much to Blake for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure talking about him. And I also love to see his reaction as England is playing some pretty big games this week in the Euros. Once again, you guys can find him on Twitter at Finney Blake. That is a great interview. You guys make sure. I hope you guys enjoy it. He's always great to hear. Um, Let's talk about our last segment, which is our one big thing. I actually already kind of... um, stepped on my own one big thing by talking about Shohei Otani because that is mine. I I just, I can't say enough about it. Like if you guys haven't been paying attention or if you're just kind of casual, you're Nats fans, but you're, you don't really follow the rest of baseball, do yourself a favor. Seriously, what you're, we're witnessing history unfold right in front of us. And as you know, we just discussed, this isn't going to go on forever. Who knows if we get another season or two of this, this two way magic, but do yourself a favor. Make sure you are, you know, watching when you can and just following along with the story because it's something you're never, ever going to see again in your lifetime. Absolutely. And I don't even think we mentioned it. He's leading the league in home runs right now. I believe he's right. at 30, 31 or 32. <laughs> so it's not just like, oh, he's a solid hitter and a solid pitcher. We're not trying to say he's very good. So he's MVP worthy. No, he's elite on both the mound and at the plate. He's MVP worthy. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Most guys can't do it on one of those. Exactly. This guy can do both. It's unbelievable. Exactly. Uh, my one big thing, uh, I teased a little bit, but I have an article coming out. And basically, it's around the idea that you just need to normalize selling at the deadline. You can go around baseball and look at teams that were successful when the Nats started to uh, really become uh, a perennial contender. So let's just say 2012, since that was their first year making the playoffs teams like the Tigers, the Orioles, the Pirates, the Rangers, they were all playoff teams then. And all of them are going through massive, massive rebuilds right now. I'm not saying the Nats need that, but I'm just saying it's not uncommon to have that need to rebuild after periods of success. Even the Yankees, the Red Sox, they have made huge trades in the past five years. Obviously, the Red Sox trading a top five player in Mookie Betts. They're currently uh, tied for the best record in baseball just two years after trading him. The Yankees obviously traded Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller at the deadline in 2016 and netted them Clay Torres and Clint F- Frazier, among other top prospects. They're obviously not having a great year, but they're set up for success based on some foundational pieces in those guys. And they have plenty of trade chips to go out and get, you know, players at this deadline if they wanted to make a run. And that just leads me to the Nats. The Nats have not sold. Even their 2018 selling at the deadline was at the waiver deadline after the June 31st deadline had passed. And the trades we saw with Daniel Murphy and Matt Adams, they didn't net us anything. It was almost like a salary dump for for two months of baseball. It didn't net us anything substantial because all the teams had already made the moves they wanted to make at the deadline. So, I mean, now that the waiver deadline's extinct, so you have to make a decision by July 31st one way or another. But the Nats need to do something to really help the future of this team because you can't put all of your eggs into the free agent basket. There's just too many unknown variables. 
look at Patrick Corbin. He had a great 2019 and has not been great since. Obviously, that was a huge uh, kind of, I guess, factor in or um, piece that you were reliant upon for your team's success. That's why, you know, if you had traded Bryce Harper, for instance, in 2018, you could have had prospects to help out and kind of ride um, steady the – sorry, I can't talk right now. You could have had prospects to steady the Patrick Corbin wave that's going on right now and the ups and downs he's currently experiencing. All of that I talk about in my article, so I hope you guys go read it. But my point is just normalize selling at the deadline. It's completely normal in baseball and all sports to sell – at the deadline in order to help next year and beyond. And that's something the Nats really need to be open to. And that's something fans should be open to as well, because even if we quote unquote punt on 2021, it doesn't mean we're out on being contenders in 2022. Yeah. Well, I think you'll have a lot of people who disagree with you, but it's definitely a really interesting argument. I can't wait to read the article. Ryan, what's your one big thing? Well, I can't read. So it was a big flex by <laughs> Nick. Um, I got really nothing. Like, just give us something to watch. Make these games fun. The Padres are a really fun and young team. Giants are surprising. So it should be a fun West Coast trip and at least be entertaining. That's all I asked for. Yeah, speaking of that, if the Canadians could just win one game against the Lightning, so the Stanley Cup final, I would also appreciate that. I would also appreciate the day you stop bringing up hockey and your one big thing. Well, that's not going to happen, so... (laughs) I'm just saying, well, it probably will happen uh, when it's not hockey season. Well, no, because the expansion draft is next month. Or is it this month? I don't even know when it is. I think it's this month. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll... Hands off, Oshi. He's ours. That's all I'm saying. We can't have him. All right, we got anything else, guys? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you as always. Please make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to leave uh, reviews wherever you get your podcasts, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat dot, at Half Street High Heat and at the website at HalfStreetHighHeat.com. Our Monday mailbag will be out soon and Nick's article he just told us about, plus various and sundry other fabulous things. And I'll talk to you guys in a couple days. Go Nats! Let's go Nats! There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go Nats! We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play, we're gonna win today Let's go Score, we're gonna win for sure
the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.